Today's reading is Psalm 27, page 460 in the Blue Pew Bible. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, or you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. My name's Brett Sweet. I'm one of the pastors here at GCF Central, where we exist to glorify God through gospel-centered worship, evangelism, discipleship, and community. It's my joy to be back with you. Um, Thank you for allowing me some study leave time. It was great. Um, Got to visit other churches, and I'm really encouraged by what several other churches are doing. I'm learning from them. But there's no place I'd rather be than here with you. Um, So thank you. We are continuing our summer series through the Psalms. Uh, We are on Psalm 27. I have an ambitious sermon this morning. I guess that's your punishment for giving me some weeks off from preaching. Um, Let me pray. And God is going to help us this morning. Lord, we're thankful for your goodness to us and your kindness to us. And we do pray that you would meet us. Lord, we are reminded that there was a time when people prayed for your presence to come and smoke filled the temple because it was your presence. And Lord, we see smoke when we look out the window. We want to feel the smoke of your spirit this morning. And Lord, I can't force that and neither can these people but you can send him and you can transform us and you can reveal your son Jesus to us. That's an easy thing for you. So we pray you would do that. We pray for all the people who can't be here. There's little babies, newborns that 
Uh, we want you to keep them healthy. We want you to help their parents. God, would you be with them? But Lord, we pray that here and now we would have all distractions removed and we would see the face of Jesus Christ through the pages of Scripture. In his name we pray, amen. You wake up in the dark of night one evening in your bedroom and there's somebody there who shouldn't be there. He's wearing a mask. You can't see his face and you're afraid. You fear. Why? Why are you full of fear? I submit that for most of us at the root of most of our fears is losing love. We're, we're afraid of losing someone or something that we love. So why are you afraid? You're afraid, ultimately, most of us, of death, of being cut off from the land of the living. We won't be able to see the faces of our loved ones again. We're concerned about that. We're cons we worry about our children. We're worried about the decisions they might make. Will they make such decisions or will we make such decisions that we're alienated, can't see their face again? We want to be loved. We're made to be loved. But fears come in and swallow love. And we live in fear. They take love away. We start to wonder sometimes if fear can actually remove love. Maybe love isn't real at all. We have here in this psalm, we have David who has recognized that he's so afraid, he's in such a bad situation or he's facing such a fearful situation that his parents have abandoned him. Seems that there's no one he can count on. So maybe those atheists out there are right. Maybe love is just a bunch of chemical reactions fooling us. Maybe love isn't even real. All there really is is fear. But there's something we can learn from the monkeys, not the animals, the band. <laughs> they sing this. I thought love was only true in fairy tales, meant for someone else but not for me. Love was out to get me. That's the way it seemed. Disappointment haunted all my dreams. And what is disappointment other than fears realized? Love just leads to disappointment. What's the use in trying? All you get is pain. When I needed sunshine, I got rain. But that's not how the song ends, is it? Then I saw her face. Now I'm a believer. Not a trace of doubt in my mind. I'm in love. Ooh, I'm a believer. I couldn't leave her if I tried. See, the monkeys are on to something here. That song teaches truth. The answer to fear is love. And do you know how love overrides fear? You see someone's face. You see someone's face. And so that's our application of Psalm 27. When you fear, seek the Lord's face. When you fear, when you're afraid, seek the Lord's face. Seek the Lord's face. The way we conquer our fears is by seeking and seeing the Lord's face. And what does that mean for us? Our God is invisible to us right now. It means living in a loving relationship with him where you know him and he knows you. So we're going to look at four things from this text that show us how love 
overcomes fear by seeking the Lord's face. But here's where it's ambitious. I'm placing each of these things at a point in salvation history. So we are looking at the whole scheme of Scripture when we look at this text. So the four things you'll be looking for, they are the word F is your key. The Lord's face first destroys fear. It destroys fear. That's the first thing we'll see. The Lord's face, when you see his face, he becomes a joy-filled fortress. He protects you and he fills you with joy. He's a joy-filled fortress. Third, the Lord's face is our ethical focus. Seeking the Lord's face is our ethic, the do's and don'ts of the Christian life. That's our focus. And then last, the Lord's face, believe it or not, is our immovable future. Our future is headed to seeing God face to face. So though, if you're listening shorthand, fear, fortress, focus, future. All right, number one, the Lord's face destroys fear. The Lord's face destroys fear. Look at verses one through three with me. And David is facing some terrible times here, but how does he respond? Verses one through three, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. So here's David. He is a military man. He is facing war. And if there's ever really a time to be afraid, it's war. There's people out to get you. It's not just chance. There's people, that's their job. They're coming after you. But David seems to say that the Lord's face, when he sees the Lord, when he's in the presence of the Lord, he's like a stronghold. So if his enemies or his fears are rocks, then the Lord's face is the crusher. It can't stand. The Lord is the stronghold. When you're in the Lord's presence, when you're living before God's face, the Lord is your light and your salvation, like it was for David, like he was for David. God is all-powerful, and he's the embodiment of love. And where love is present, fear has no place to go but away. Fear can't intrude. Knowing that God is the stronghold of your life destroys your fears. Kind of like when you're in his presence in that way. It's kind of like the Garden of Eden. See, in the garden, Adam and Eve were walking with God. They were living in relationship with God. God was, didn't have a body, so he was still invisible in some sense, but there was no sin that was a barrier between perfect relationship. So they lived before God's face. They walked with him. But then they sinned. Fear came in. And they thought, you know, I'm afraid of missing out. I'm afraid of not living up to my potential. So I'm going to eat this forbidden fruit that Satan says I should eat. And what comes in? Fear. Fear of being found out, so they hide. Fear of being held accountable, so they blame. And God drives them out of his presence. They can't see his face anymore. 
But the world, in a sense, the community of the world is so small that God still, and it seems like, in some ways, needs to train the people. And even Cain and Abel have these interactions with God. And then Cain kills Abel, murders him. God judges him. Genesis 4, 13 through 14. What is the judgment? Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground. And from your face, I shall be hidden. So Cain is living in this world because of sin where he can no longer see God's face. And it's too much for him. But see, David is an anti-Cain here. David, by the Holy Spirit, can encounter God. He can see God's face. There's a place for him that's kind of like a little garden of Eden. There's a place where fear is destroyed, where it's irrational, and it seems to be before the Lord's face. So the Lord's face destroys fear. It's like bringing us to the Garden of Eden. Now, secondly, the Lord's face is a joy-filled fortress. It's a fortress. The Lord's face is a joy-filled fortress. Verse 1 talks about God being a stronghold, a fortress, so that when things come from outside, they must break and the fortress must stand. The arrows bounce off, the rocks bounce off, the bombs can't phase it. The Lord's face is a fortress, and it's a fortress that protects us and fills us with joy, with joy. That's what's on the inside. So let's read and see that in verses four through six. Verses four through six. One thing have I asked of the Lord, One thing, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above all my enemies around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. David is singing. He's singing. He wants to offer sacrifices. He wants to give his best to the Lord. Why? Because he recognizes, he can see, there's a sense in which he can get so close to the Lord, he can gaze upon the beauty of God. Just like some of us have looked at paintings or sunsets or mountains or beaches and everything disappears for a moment and we're in awe. David recognizes those things. They're just pointing to God. Those things are like JV, C-Squad. David recognizes that his goal, his ultimate goal in life is to be in God's presence. And that leads to joy, celebration. So when you seek the Lord, some of us here, we don't really know if we believe in this God. Maybe a few of us here are sure we don't believe in this God. And most of the reason why is we think it's just not worth it. But here David argues against you and against us when we believe that. He says, no, 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 no. 
you get close to God, you see his face, it's celebration, it's party time, it's joy, and it can't be taken from you. So a protected, powerful joy that can't be taken away from you. But if we move forward after Cain, if we think about the Bible storyline, you have this interesting thing happen. God calls this man Abraham, creates a new nation from him. That nation goes down to Egypt and is in slavery. Moses delivers God's people out with God's power, out of slavery. This is really about a thousand or yeah, about a thousand years before David is writing this psalm. And God, while he has these people on the move to the promised land, he wants to bless them. He wants to bless them. And that word bless carries this idea of happiness, of joy. God wants, even while his people to be, move, be moving to the promised land, to be living in a moving fortress of joy. And here's how he does that. He says, here's how you're going to be happy. I've given you these priests. Here's what these priests are going to do. They're going to mediate my presence a little bit. We're going to make it tolerable. But they're going to bless you. They're going to bless you, make you happy. And here's how I want them to bless you. They're going to say this to you. The Lord spoke to Moses. This is Numbers 6, verses 22 through 27. Saying, speak to Aaron and his sons. Those are the priests saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, that's his face, to, upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. When God says, I want my people to be blessed. I want them to be happy. So here's what I want you to do, priests. Pray with optimism as you say this to the people so that they join you in praying. Pray that I would reveal my face to them and pray it twice. Not just that I would lift up my face to them, I show them their face, but I would lift up my countenance to them too. Say it twice so they get it. So that they're happy, so their joy protects them from the fear that's coming. If you want to be fear, be free from fear, if you want to have happiness that can't be taken away, see, the answer is not more respect from your spouse or your boss or your teacher. That's not it. If you really want to be happy, it's not having perfect health. That's not it. If you really, what you really want to be happy and you think maybe a little bit more wealth, a little bit more romance, a little bit more sex, a little bit more substances, those things will make me happy. Those will fill me with joy. No, that's not what God says. God says what you need is not another position, a better position in society or in politics or in the church. To be happy. And all those things are good in themselves. But if they are fortresses that you think will make you happy and protect your happiness, they are fortresses of paper. They will burn or they will fall apart and crumple 
when the, when the rain comes in, and all you will find is that you are wet. They will lead to more fear. Only the Lord's face is the joy-filled fortress. That's what David's saying right here. If I want to be protected, I need to see the Lord's face. I need to gaze upon his beauty. And oh, that's what I want to do. That's all I want to do. So give up on your fears and take God instead. It's an interesting thing Isaiah says in chapter 8, verse 13. He says, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? To have fears and to say, well, here's my fears. I'm afraid of my children dying, losing my home, losing my retirement, dying a slow, miserable death. I'm afraid of these things. And Isaiah seems to say, he's like, well, here, you've got your fears and you can hold one fear. Why don't you put those down and just take God? Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Hang on to him. That's easy to say, but hard to do, isn't it? When you fear, though, seek the Lord's face. And the Lord's face destroys fear. The Lord's face is a joy-filled fortress. And now third, the Lord's face is our ethical focus, our ethical focus. Kids, if you're like, what's ethical mean? It means knowing what's right and wrong. Knowing what's right and wrong. When you focus, knowing what to do. So many of us think that ethics is all about don't do this and do that. That causes us a lot of fear, doesn't it? Are we doing the right thing in the right moment? There's a bunch of thou shalt nots in the Bible. And then we add our own. Don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date girls who do. But see, that is actually not a distinctly Christian ethic. You could be a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Stoic and practice that. There's a different ethic for Christians. When we're trying to figure out how to behave in a certain circumstance, verses 7 through 12 give us some guidance. So let's read them. Verses 7 through 12, we'll see that the face of God is our ethical focus. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. And lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. There's trials. David's not saying trials don't exist. David's not saying he's not tempted to fear. But in the midst of those, we all admit we've got trials, and we don't know how to act. What's the right thing to do? What do we do? And he says that the Lord says, here's what you do. Seek my face. Seek my face. That's that's the right thing. You're trying to figure out what's right or wrong. There's some nuances here, David, but here's what you need, know you need to do. Come to me. Seek my face. By seeking the Lord's face, David knows that's how he teaches people. That's how he teaches people. 
You come to me. Then you'll know what right is, what wrong is, how to live, how to be free. See, Christians, we've taken the Lord's name here. We're Christians. Christ, his name is now attached to us. So we shouldn't be, if we're representing him, liars or adulterers or cheaters or enslavers. We should be the best spouses, the best children, the best students, the best workers, the best inventors. We should be the most patient drivers, the most honest employees, the people that care the most about both freedom and justice. That's what we should be. Now, how do we become those things if all we're doing is seeking the Lord's face? And I get the joy of telling you. In 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, the Holy Spirit reminds us of another moment in Israel's history. See, Moses, he has these interactions with the Lord. He gets so close that, in a sense, he gazes with God face to face. And it's almost like some of God's glory kind of reflects off of him or attaches to him. So he's got to cover his face. It's too much for the people around him. But now listen to 2 Corinthians 3.18. I'm going to show you how the Lord's face drives our ethics, how it tells us and makes us what we should be. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So in Psalm 27, David is obeying this command to seek the Lord's face. Why? Because when you behold the Lord's glory, it starts to rub off on you. The Holy Spirit does something. It's like food for the Holy Spirit, and he starts to change you. See, here's the thing. You look in the mirror, and you see what you are. Then you look at your heroes out there, and you see what you wish you could be. But you see Jesus, and you not only see what you wish you could be, he empowers you to become like him. There's power in that, that your heroes don't have. And you are slowly being transformed into the same image as Jesus not God, you won't be God someday, Mormons believe that. But we'll believe, we'll be more like Jesus, we'll still be fully man, but just like him, glorified, always doing what is right, always loving, always obeying, always honest, always kind. By seeking the Lord's face, what happens is God comes in and he changes you from the inside out. And that's where it really happens, isn't it? You can fake it for a while, but you need something to happen inside. And then you read a few more verses down there in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So by seeking the Lord's face, you start to encounter Jesus. 
And we have a distinctly Christian ethic. Here's what you do. Is there right or wrong? Do we need to make up our minds about abortion, euthanasia, gay marriage, all of those things? Yes. But the way you begin is by seeking the Lord's face. He leads you to his word. And he transforms you. And it informs all those things. And you want to submit to his authority. You're transformed to be like you. But still, living in a relationship, that can be confusing at times. We can call our parents or run into our friends on the street. But this is a little confusing. And it's always been a little confusing. There's this preacher in the UK. He's almost 100 years old now. He's an Englishman, conservative Anglican named Dick Lucas. And he imagines a, a conversation between a Christian and a typical Greek or Roman. And they bump into each other and the non-Christian says to his neighbor, ah, you are, I hear you are religious. Great. Religion is a good thing. Where is your temple or your holy place? And the Christian says, well, we don't, we don't have a temple. Jesus is our temple. No temple. But where do your priests work and do their rituals? We don't have priests to mediate the presence of God. Jesus is our priest. No priests. But where do you offer your sacrifices to acquire the favor of your God? Christian says, we don't need to sacrifice. Jesus is our sacrifice. And the non-Christian says, what kind of religion is this? And the answer is no religion at all. See, our ethic is not to go to the right temple. It's not to have the right sort of priest wearing a sort of dress, creating some sort of, offering some sort of sacrifice. Our ethic is to go to Jesus, our high priest. Our ethic is to know Jesus, who is our temple. Our ethic is to believe that Jesus is our sacrifice. So we don't need to sacrifice. See, man-made religion, their ethics are always do's and don'ts. Go to this holy site. Do what I tell you right now. So non-Christian man-made religion ethics is like, you want to be right and good? Turn around, turn away from me, and let me beat you over the back. But see, the gospel is something different. It says, you want to be like me? I'm going to move so close to you that you can look me in the eye. And then you'll be changed. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus came all the way to us to be our priest, our temple, our sacrifice. We can know him. He looked people in the eye. His Holy Spirit comes and mediates Jesus' presence so we can know him now. Jesus lived the life of blessing. He always lived in relationship with God the Father. He lived, the phrases in Latin, corum Deo, before the Lord's face. So he deserved all the blessings of Aaron. Lord, lift up your face to you. That's what, is what Jesus experienced every day. But see, the opposite of blessing is curse. And Jesus went to the cross. And he had to live not Coram Deo. 
He went to the cross to receive the curse that we deserve, the anti-blessing. God the Father didn't hear his prayers. When David said, hide not your face from me, God the Father says, well, here's the thing, David, you've sinned. You deserve me to hide my face from you. But here's the thing, I won't. Because my son, your great, great descendant, I'm going to hide my face from him. It's the same for everyone who puts their faith in Jesus. So God the Father turns away from Jesus. The wrath falls on him. This punishment is in Jesus, our sacrifice. And it's done. It's done. And Jesus rises from the grave and defeats death. So now, since the curse, the thing we're afraid of, that God might hide his face from us, it, it's not for us anymore. It's been done. He did that for Jesus instead of us. So we can always be confident when we say, reveal yourself to us, that he'll answer it. It may not be in the way we expect. But we can be free from the fear of thinking God will reject us. So now here's how we seek the Lord's face. We rehearse that truth every day. Every day. You say, man, you know, I'm tempted to be afraid. And I'm tempted to deal with that fear by looking somewhere else to satisfy it. But here, what I'm learning is that we, it's satisfied by seeking the Lord's face. If I can get more Jesus, that's the solution. And so I need to remind myself who Jesus is. I need to remind myself of who Jesus, what Jesus has done. I need to be with people that will help me remember. People who are interacting with the Lord face to face and they can talk to me. Like, it remind me of what, they've learned, what they're learning from him and how he's changing them. And talk to him in prayer and read the Bible. See who the real Jesus is, not the one that we think he should be, but who he really is. You seek his face by trusting him today. And if you don't, you'll have no joy ultimately. You'll have only fear. And that's hell. That's what hell will be like. Now, as I'm saying all this, do you know, let me tell you honestly, that sometimes I have a lot in common with a doubting skeptic. I think about this Bible, this book, and I think, really? Really, like, this is God's word. Like, God actually, like, spoke, put it in a book. You should believe that? I mean, the people who wrote this, I can often think, way less educated than me, way less informed than me. Start to think I probably know better than them. Now that's pride. But that's what most of our culture is teaching us. But then I bump into this problem. I bump into this problem of how 15th century BC, Moses is writing about seeking the Lord's face. And 500 years after him, David comes along and is writing about seeking the Lord's face. And a thousand years after that, Paul is writing and he says, 
Seek the Lord's face. And someone that Paul wanted dead, the Apostle John, we'll read him in a moment, is writing about seeking the Lord's face. And I think, nobody's this smart. Nobody can weave these themes together. And there's 25, 30 other themes like this that trace their way through these so-called uneducated people. So were the, was the Bible written by mere humans who sinned? Yes. But I'll tell you this. It was preserved and written by the Spirit of God so there's no error. And it can be believed and lived. He's in control of the story. He's got to be. He's got to be. And he's in control of our stories too. So if you're a Christian and want to overcome that besetting sin or addiction or whatever, you want to be a better worker or student or spouse, you actually don't start by focusing on those things at all. You don't. You start by focusing on Jesus, getting to know Jesus, loving Jesus. You meditate on his word. You talk to him. You live in relationship with a local church. And then you, what you start to find is you realize now there's this power available to you to start killing that sin, start practicing that good habit, start living for God's glory instead of your own. And you'll start to feel more secure. You realize, wait, you know, I am a little bit concerned. I don't know exactly how to respond in this situation. I'm stuck between trying to please my parents and trying to please my spouse, stuck between uh, this, this demand of my boss and this demand from my family. Then you realize, you know what I need to do? Not strategize, not crunch the numbers. I need to seek the Lord's face. He'll reveal himself to me. And your fears will slowly or quickly sometimes disappear. So when you fear, seek the Lord's face. The Lord's face destroys fear. The Lord's face is a joy-filled fortress. The Lord's face is our ethical focus. And fourth, while we're gazing at Jesus, the Lord's face, and this is our great hope, is our immovable future. The Lord's face is our immovable future. It is out there. We will see him and we will get there. He is our immovable future. Fears, when you think about fears, they're always future related, aren't they? They're always concerned about what's happening, that something bad is coming. See, David started off praying, but with confidence. And then as his prayer has gone on, there's still fears lingering. He's not quite sure. But now he ends with confidence. He has a certainty of the future and that that future is immovable and unchangeable. Let's read verses 13 and 14. I believe, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Isn't waiting hard? It, it really is. To quote another oldie, Tom Petty saying, waiting, the way 18 is the hardest part. David has some suffering here and now. We have some suffering here and now. We're tempted to be afraid. But David is confident in God's goodness here. 
and his love toward him. He's going to make it through this. How is he sure? He's sure. And what's the result when he makes it through this? He'll see the Lord. I'll look upon the Lord. I'll see the Lord. He knows there's a place of endless love and no fear coming. So if you're a Christian, you've caught a glimpse. You've gotten a spiritual sight where you've seen the Lord's face. There are those moments in your lives where you know he's, God's been so real. He's been so close. It's like I could see him, and it's changed me. It's like you're saying, I saw his face. Now I'm a believer. And now you're believing these promises that you're going to look on the goodness of God again. And you're right. It's an immovable future. But it is hard to wait for. We're called to wait for it. We're called to continue to walk by faith, not by sight yet. And yet, the Lord's face is our immovable future. Here's our immovable future. Immovable future. It's in heaven, free from fear, free from trials. Listen to Revelation 22, verses 1 through 6. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, only blessed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be written on their foreheads. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter what's happening to you now, no matter how afraid you might be, the Lord's face is where you will find what you need. And it's our immovable future. It's certain. It's coming. You'll see his face. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful that the love and joy and family and friendship and all of this are found in you, our holy God. We're thankful that Jesus has come to reveal your face to us. We're thankful that your Holy Spirit illumines the word of God in the gospel and reveals you to us. Please do that, Lord. Please help us to not respond just with feelings or with mere intellect or anything like that, but that we would respond with faith, believing you. We pray that you would do eternal things this morning. People who don't know you would know you. People that are discouraged would be encouraged. People who are not believing would believe. Lord, we need you to do that work. All I've done is talk. It's foolishness, really, unless your power is invested and divested in this time. So please do something. Encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me...